Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Saliba! <laughs> Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Welcome back to another live episode of the show. Looking back on Arsenal's victory down at Bournemouth this evening. The Gunners picking up their third consecutive win. Arsenal have now won their first three Premier League games for the first time since the 2004 2005 season. It's been a while, but Arsenal uh, putting themselves back on the map with a really, really good performance. Another victory and Arsenal sit pretty at the top of the Premier League, at least until Manchester City are in action tomorrow. But yeah, look, really, really good performance, really positive performance, really enjoyed everything about the game today. You know, sometimes we talk about sort of stress and the, the anxieties that we get put through by our football team. And how that can really take its toll. Like I, I've come away from so many games over the last few years feeling mentally drained, feeling like I was running on empty as a result of not the physical labour of it all, but the mental labour of it all, the mental trauma of it all. And so to start a game the way we did today, to put ourselves into a commanding position so early, to essentially kill the game as a contest, um, the way we did was just, it was so good to see. It showed a ruthlessness that's been missing from this Arsenal side for a long, long time. And to see all of it come together and for Arsenal to be so convincing and so dominant, away to Bournemouth, evening kickoff. I talked about it not being ideal in terms of the kickoff time, in terms of what that can do, what that can mean. Bournemouth still a newly promoted side, very much still kind of buzzing to be back in the big time. Humbled a little bit after their opening day victory um, by Manchester City last weekend, of course. But this was a game, as I say, evening game under the lights at home in front of their fans. And, you know, it, it had the potential to be a really difficult game. And those of you that watched the preview, those of you that follow me on social media will have seen me banging on about the importance of a strong start. I talked about it in the preview. I said that teams like Bournemouth will come into games like this with hope, with some optimism, knowing that they can, if they get things right, they can get a result. 
And what you need to do is be very convincing from the off, very dominant from the off. And if you do that, it takes that kind of inferiority complex from the back of their minds and brings it to the forefront of their minds. And you could see that once Arsenal got their noses in front, Bournemouth's confidence was shot. They rallied a little bit in the second half. And I thought Arsenal were a little bit sloppy, actually, at the start of the second half. But Bournemouth didn't have the quality and Arsenal always looked like they could go back down the other end and score again. And of course, we did through William Saliba. We'll come on to talk about individual performances in a minute. But in terms of the overall assessment, a solid performance defensively. But we know we're capable of that now. We know that this shape allows us to do that. We know that we've got some top, top defenders in the squad nowadays. But the great thing was to see us be so potent going forward. To see, in particular, one player for me today who has copped quite a bit of criticism at the start of this new season. And I've always kind of leapt to his defence and said, well, even when he doesn't do an awful lot in possession, even when he doesn't have the impact that we know he can, even when he isn't pulling the strings as well as we know he can, Martin Odegaard gives you so much work rate, gives you so much effort. And that's why I defend him. Because even when it doesn't always work out the way he wants with the ball at his feet, you know that the minimum you're going to get from him is a real workmanlike performance, a real performance for the team. And and I was delighted as a result of that to see him grab a couple of goals. And again, we'll come on to that in a little bit, but let's kind of do it in chronological order. Um, before we do it, actually, let's say a few hellos because there's loads of you in the live chat box. And I know that lots of you want to be watching the boxing very soon. We are live on Saturday night here on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel. Of course, the fight between Usyk and Joshua is around about an hour or so away um, by my estimations. Um, some people are saying it might be a little bit longer than that, but that's fine. Big hello to everybody for joining us. Uh, who is joining us? Uh, I'm so excited. I'm mincing my words. Uh, big hello to the Wandering Minstrel, uh, to Dave, to Fort Lauderdale Guna, uh, Craig, to Rich King Retro, to Billy, to Henry, to Glenn, to Zebic, uh, to Kuhn, uh, K-U-N, uh, like Sergio Aguero, Kun Aguero, 33 Fivers, uh, Ayush, uh, Afsar, Dean De Jaeger, JC, loads and loads of you, Pavel, etc., etc. Loads of you in the chat. Great to see you all here. Okay, let's get back into it then. <laughs> oh, I've got, I got to address this because I've had this a few times today. Is that Harry or Clark Kent? You know what? I bought myself two new pairs of glasses. You're going to see them on rotation over the next few weeks. <laughs> but anyway, let's get into the game. So let's start off with the opening goal. It didn't take Arsenal long at all, really, did it, to break the deadlock. It didn't take the Gunners long to get their noses in front. And as I say, that was of huge significance in terms of sort of curbing the atmosphere in terms of flattening Bournemouth a little bit confidence wise. It was just, it was just brilliant to see. And um, Gabriel Jesus didn't score the goal, but my word was he instrumental in the making of it. The touch to bring the ball down out of the air, to spin away from his man, to drop the shoulder and get past one, past two players, and then play Gabriel Martinelli in to a position from which really he should have scored um, was just so indicative of of what he has brought to this Arsenal side and what he's brought to this attack. You used to look at um, Alexander Lacazette and you used to think, yeah, you know what? He does a pretty decent job of dropping into that hole and getting involved in the build-up play and then vacating the spaces 
for people to get in behind and people to come from the wide areas in particular and try and cause the opponent problems. But he never really had the mobility to take people on. And he certainly didn't have the mobility, having dropped deep in those areas, to then turn and get into the box and make a nuisance of himself that way. But, you know, at the time, we thought that was pretty decent. And at the time, when you compared it to what we were getting out of Aubameyang in terms of link-up play, you would have said that Lacazette was doing a really good job. And how wrong were we? How wrong were we to think that that was the standard, that that was the level, that there was very few players out there that could do at least the link-up part of the game much better than Lacazette? I mean, I kind of got myself into this mindset last season that, yeah, he's not scoring goals. Yeah, he should be in, in and around the six-yard box as a centre-forward much more than he is. But all the other elements to his game are good enough. And how wrong was I? How wrong were so many of us? Because Gabriel Jesus has taken this attack up one, two, three, four, maybe even five levels because he gives you so, so much. He's so strong when in possession. He holds challenges off. He's got incredible balance to go left and right, incredible ball control, but also has the awareness and understanding of the players in and around him and the positions that they're taking up. And to see him forming that understanding in particular, with Gabriel Martinelli so quickly is so, so impressive. And Arsenal as a team at the moment are really, really benefiting from that. He was superb in the build-up. Martinelli's shot was saved and the ball fell to Martin Odegaard, who credit to Martin Odegaard. It wasn't a difficult finish. All he had to do was steer, steer the ball back and steer it on target. But you know, credit to him for getting into that position, for having that willingness to make sure he gets there, make sure he's following it up, make sure he's in and around the penalty area, make sure that if there are, is any spare change, he is there to pick it up. And, uh, and you know, great to see him get on the score sheet because, as I said, at the top of the show, I think he's copped a lot of stick in the first few weeks of the season. There are a lot of people out there that remain unsure about Martin Odegaard and that it felt to me like, the first couple of games gave them an opportunity to um, to just go, well, look, I told you he's not that great. He doesn't offer all that much. He's a bit like Mesut Ozil in that he looks pretty when he's got the ball and he passes it left and he passes it right and he covers ground, et cetera, et cetera. But does he give us enough in terms of outputs where he's, well, he silenced people today with a couple of goals? And, you know, the first one was obviously an instinctive finish the ball breaks to him. I expect him to score that. You know, I'm not going to rant and rave about what a great goal that was. The only thing I'd give him praise for, as I've already done, is the fact that he did follow up the situation. He didn't slack off in terms of his running. He didn't allow um, the chance to go begging. He, he made sure that he was in the right place at the right time to capitalise on anything that may fall his way. But the second goal was, I think, really good in the sense of it kind of just showed that Martin Odegaard maybe was feeling a little bit of that criticism. Probably is his own biggest critic, probably knows himself when he hasn't had the greatest game, probably knows himself when he hasn't impacted the game in the way that we all know he can. And so I think that the second goal, I don't think he scores the second goal if he hasn't scored the first. And I'll explain why. Gabriel Jesus receives the ball in the penalty area for the second ball. Again, the Brazilian heavily, heavily involved in the build-up. And his touch kind of takes it slightly away from him, enough, away enough from him for Martin Odegaard to be tempted. And it could have been easy for Martin Odegaard to kind of think, well, Jesus has got this and sort of put his hands up and say, that's not mine. 
But because he's got that confidence from the first goal, because he's got the bit between his teeth and because he's clearly been lifted by the fact that it was him who broke the deadlock, he thinks, screw it, I'm going to take it on myself. And he hammers it home, hammers it past the Bournemouth goalkeeper and doubles Arsenal's lead. And, you know, you might say that he took it off of Gabriel Jesus, but there was a doubt as to whether Jesus was going to be able to get the shot off without it being blocked because of how, I don't want to say loose the touch was, but it, it wasn't the ideal touch. It didn't put the ball in a position from which he was very comfortable. He was having to stretch to the right, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, bottom line is, I don't think Martin Odegaard scores that second goal if he isn't confident and he hasn't got that confidence flowing through his veins from the first one. So, yeah, uh, really, really good to see him impacting the game. Really unlucky not to have an assist to his name as well in the second half when he played that beautiful ball through to Gabriel Jesus, who scored, finished brilliantly. But of course, the goal was ruled out by the video assistant referee. Moving on, um, we'll move on to the third goal. Uh, William Saliba, the subject of an incredible chant today uh, to the tune of uh, Tequila. Uh, da -da 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 Saliba, brilliant, loved it. And the Arsenal fans were singing it for bloody ages. I've seen so many videos on social media of those that were in attendance. Great to see uh, that kind of really making an impact, that song. But a good friend of mine, uh, shout out to Kiri, reminded me during the game. I didn't really think about this. It kind of completely escaped my mind. It was like I blocked it out of my mind. But he reminded me that that's what we used to sing for Ebue. Oh, I would say that Saliba is a bit better than Emmanuel Ebue, but love it anyway. Great song. Um, really got the fans going. Mikel Arteta actually said in his post-match press conference that uh, the boys were singing it in the dressing room and he said something along the lines of, it is a good song to be fair. And uh, that indeed it was. But even better than the song was William Saliba's goal. You only need to watch Alexander Zinchenko's reaction. Zinchenko, who was positioned behind Saliba when the ball was cut back to him brilliantly by Granit Xhaka, to see that that was something that very few expected. He swung a left booted at it, and it was a brilliant strike. Back across the goal, it just dipped underneath the crossbar and left the Bournemouth stopper with absolutely no chance and added to Arsenal's lead. And that was the goal that essentially put the game to bed. Look, I don't think Bournemouth at any point, even at 2-0, really threatened to come back into it. I wasn't massively concerned at any point in the game. Um, but for, for Saliba to do that was great because it really did kind of end the game as a contest completely. But also, for me, um, it's just another step towards building that confidence for William Saliba. You know, he's been away for a while. He hasn't always felt part of the team. He hasn't really felt part of the squad. He hasn't really felt completely engaged. And he's made no secret of that. And maybe coming back, there were doubts for William Saliba around his relationship with Mikel Arteta. And if he could ever get that back to the point where they'd both feel comfortable. But Mikel Arteta, as far as I'm concerned, on this particular subject has been proven right. Because William Saliba wasn't this accomplished 12 months ago, 18 months ago, 24 months ago. He's this accomplished because he has played for a big club for a season at the heart of their defence and done it regularly. And he's earned plaudits for it and it's helped him build his confidence up and it's helped him build up his big game experience. And he now understands what it means to play for a club where the pressure is there week in, week out. And he's got a superb supporting cast around him now. Ben White, again, I thought defensively was very, very good. 
I thought some of his crossing when he got into the attacking third let him down a little bit, but he's a centre-back. I don't expect him to be putting in sort of Ronaldinho-type deliveries, but he's got him to his right. He's got Gabriel, who's been brilliant as well, to his left. And of course, Alexander Zinchenko, who is tasked a little more with stepping into the midfield, but has also been able to tuck in um, into the back four when Arsenal without position. And he's obviously very experienced and uh, very comfortable technically. Zinchenko, I thought, was great today as well. We'll run through the team just quickly. Um, Aaron Ramsdale, I thought, had a couple of stupid moments again. You know, there was that one where he sort of went to kick the ball out and he kicked it straight to the Bournemouth midfield and then sort of gestured that he'd been barged into by the Bournemouth player or something. I don't know what he was complaining about. The Bournemouth player was absolutely nowhere near him. Did he sort of lean as if he was going to go in for the challenge? Did he sort of faint as if he was going to go in the challenge? Yeah, but, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't anything major. Um, Certainly not enough to put the goalkeeper off. Uh, Ben White, as I said, I thought defensively was very good. I thought he made great runs up that right-hand side, really supported Bukayo Saka well and stepped infield when he needed to. Um, But yeah, I think in the final third, he was a little bit wasteful with the ball at times. But again, you know, I'm nitpicking here. I'm not looking for Ben White to turn into peak Andrea Pirlo in the final third and pick out the killer ball every time. Uh, good performance from him. Saliba, as I said, outstanding, both defensively and offensively on the day. Uh, Gabriel, very, very solid again as well, having to deal quite a bit with Kiefer Moore today, who um, who often drifted to that side, sometimes drifted to the other side as well. But it always kind of needed a combination of players to do the job on him because he is so big, he is so powerful, he is so physical. He's not often that Gabriel and Saliba have a match in terms of physicality and presence and size. But Kiefer Moore was certainly that. And of all the Bournemouth players, I think he's the one that can probably come away with his head held high. He was probably the only one who gave a good account of himself. Everyone else was below par. Everyone else was overwhelmed by the occasion. Everybody else was totally dominated by Arsenal, who were brilliant from start to finish, barring a short period in the second half, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, Left-back Zinchenko, again, brilliant. I mean, people talk about him defensively. Is he as good as Kiarantini defensively? No, he's not. As an out-and-out defender, he's not on the same level as Kiarantini. But my God, he adds so much to the build-up. The way he can go on the outside, the way he can step inside, the way he can join the midfield and give us extra bodies in that area, the way he can read the game and intercepts passes, steps into the right places at the right time. There was a couple of occasions where Arsenal sent players forward today for set pieces and corners. Zinchenko stayed back and when the ball was cleared long, he was just so calm, so composed and has that technical security that you really need to start play from the back. Great performance from him again. In midfield, I thought Thomas Partey was absolutely sensational. And I know when we talk about man of the match, people will talk about Jesus and people will talk about Martin Odegaard, who, of course, got his first brace for the Gunners today. But really and truly, the man pulling the strings and the man who completely dominated that midfield today was Thomas Partey. We need to wrap this guy up in cotton wool because we are an infinitely better team with Thomas Partey at full pelt than we are without him. It's as simple as that. And my worry, my concern for this season is that we we still don't have anyone in the squad that can play a like-for-like role, in my opinion. There are alternatives, 
but they all come with slightly different attributes. And I don't really know what the solution would be in the absence of Partey. And when you take into consideration his fitness record over the past couple of seasons, then I am worried. I am worried that if we lose him, the level drops massively. Um, but, you know, again, another outstanding performance from him. And, and again, kind of he reminds us of his value to this side. Granite Xhaka, I thought, was very, very good. Again, gave the ball away in the second half. And that almost led to Bournemouth creating an opportunity. Um, but, and I know people always say that, you know, I always uh, I always look to cover Granite Xhaka and I always look to defend Granite Xhaka. And so people may disagree with this. I didn't think the pass given to him by Aaron Ramsdale was very good. It was played onto his left side, but at such an angle where as he spun, his options were really, really limited. And yeah, it, it, it just... Look, Ramsdale won't get any of the blame for that. It'll all be put on Granite Xhaka as it always tends to be. But I just thought the one time where he looked really sloppy was 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 avoidable if the goalkeeper had been better in his distribution. I think, again, people will say I'm defending him. I'm not defending Granite Xhaka specifically. I would have said this, whoever that pass was played to from Aaron Ramsdale. I didn't think it was a, his greatest pass. I didn't think it was a necessary pass. And I thought it put us under a lot of pressure. And ultimately, we lost the ball as a consequence of that. But a good game from him overall. Odegaard, I've already spoken about, you know, again, a little bit quiet in certain periods, but helped the game flow, kept it things ticking, and of course, popped up twice uh, to find the back of the net, which means his contribution uh, was hugely significant again this evening. Uh, on the left, Martinelli, I thought was superb. Really, really good again. Very industrious, very hardworking, a constant threat in behind and coming short as well. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed his performance. On the right, Saka, I don't want to say he had a bad game, but again, it's like he's kind of become a supporting member of the cast with Martinelli and Jesus really shining in that attack. It's not a bad thing because it means that the others are performing. And if you can outshine somebody like Bukayo Saka, well, you must be bloody doing something right. But I'm still kind of waiting for him to click into fifth gear. Uh, at the start of this new campaign. Okay, um, before we continue through the chat, before we continue through the Arsenal talk, please do leave us a like on the video if you're with us live right now. There's over 400 of you watching, which means there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 200 likes on the board. So I'm just going to take a sip of my drink and I'm going to wait until you guys push the likes up. Go for it. Lovely, lovely stuff. Uh, had a Chinese tonight after uh, after the match, which is why I'm super thirsty now. Um, not a good idea, really. There's nothing worse than eating really salty food and then going to bed and having to wake up in the night gasping for a glass of water. Worst thing. And I think I'm going to be in for that tonight. Um, anyway, let's get back to the Arsenal chat. Make sure you've left a like on the video if you haven't done so already. And if you're new to the channel, of course, please do subscribe. Um, Right, let's talk about that little period I was mentioning um, in the second half where I just thought we were a little bit sloppy. I just thought we were a little bit sluggish. The ball was put into our penalty area on a number of occasions and it just felt like there was panic stations 
every time the ball came into that type of area. I didn't think Aaron Ramsdale looked massively convincing during that short period. I didn't think the centre-backs looked massively convincing either. And I know I've talked about Kiefer Moore, the threat that he poses and how he's somebody very, very difficult to contend with and somebody very, very difficult to kind of keep tabs on. But yeah, I just, um, I didn't like that. I didn't like that period because at that point we were only 2-0 up. And I don't know if it was a bit of complacency. I don't know if it was, um, I don't know if it was down to maybe a drop off in our levels, fitness levels. I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was, but we just seemed to take our foot off the gas for that short period. And we allowed Bournemouth to start to grow into the game. Thankfully, it didn't last very long. And then when William Saliba goes and scores a goal nine minutes into the second half, that kills them off completely. But it was just an avoidable period of pressure. Now, you could say that I'm being overly harsh, maybe a little bit picky, and that in the Premier League, it's nigh on impossible to not go away from home and at least face a short period of difficulty. Maybe I'm nitpicking, but I just think that we should always be striving for more. We should always be looking to be at our maximum. And, and that's the standard set with, amongst this Arsenal team at the moment. And we've got to keep it up and we've got to maintain it. And actually, I was thinking about it towards the back end of the game. And I was thinking to myself, am I being harsh? Am I being OTT? Am I just looking for something to complain about? Um, I, honestly, that thought was going through my mind during the game. But then I heard Mikel Arteta say pretty much the same thing after. And that kind of confirmed my my assessment in my own mind anyway, that actually, yeah, there was a period where we just dropped off uh, a little bit. But Arsenal know that. Arteta knows that. And, um, and we'll be working on it to, to hopefully make it better. Um, we didn't get to see Fabio Vieira today. It would have been nice. He was on the substitutes bench, of course, but uh, he wasn't one of those selected to come on. Um, good to see Emil Smith-Rowe come on in the 10 role as well and take over from Martin Odegaard with Nketiah coming on and going out on the left for a bit. Just showed that flexibility. Tomiyasu coming on at right back to Lokonga in the midfield. And of course, Kieran Tierney coming on what looked like from what looked like the left wing position. And a lot of people were sort of asking me this on Twitter after the game, replying to my tweet about the podcast saying, what do we think of, of Tierney as a left wing? And look, I don't want that. I don't like that. And if anything, I'd rather Tierney was the left back and Zinchenko was the left winger. But it gives us an option, doesn't it? If we want to shut up shop late on in games, that you know, to be able to do that is obviously an alternative option. It's not something I expect to be, um, you know, a regular occurrence and and I wouldn't read too much into it. But yeah, just just interesting to see. And, and, and actually, it puts thoughts in your mind, doesn't it, about kind of how these players could all fit into a team and a system and a unit in the event that we come up against a much better team. And when we come up against the sides that, are going to pose us a lot more problems. Just a thought, though. Um, that that's all it really is for me. But when you you're able to bring on players of Smith Rowe, Tomiyasu, Tierney's quality from the bench, obviously Lakonga and Ketia too, you start to think, yeah, actually, we are building a pretty decent squad here. And remember, Fabio Vieira, who there is a lot of anticipation around and excitement around, didn't even get on the pitch today. 
Post-match, Mikel Teta was asked, of course, about the transfer window, because interestingly today, and we'll probably talk about this in a lot more detail on tomorrow's show, both Wesley Fofana and Yuri Tielemans, who Arsenal have been heavily linked with throughout the summer, were left out of Leicester City starting 11 today. And when Brendan Rodgers was asked about it pre-game, he said that they weren't in the right frame of mind. Something to that effect. Maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I did watch the interview. I can't remember it was earlier today, but he basically said they're not. there's players in this group that are not in the right frame of mind at the moment. And you just wonder, don't you? You just wonder if Arsenal have just stepped it up a notch with regards to Yuri Tiedemans. You do wonder if there's a reason that Yuri Tiedemans' is, his head isn't in the game. And if you remember a few weeks ago when we maybe last spoke about Tiedemans at length on the podcast, I said that if Tiedemans wants this move and if it's been indicated to him that Arsenal will be there waiting, he needs to make it happen himself as well. He needs to be applying pressure from his side, which to our knowledge, he hadn't done up until this point. But to get to a place where your manager doesn't think you're in the right headspace to play suggests that maybe something's gone down there. I'm just speculating, but it is something worth discussing. And Leicester haven't exactly had a great start to the season. It's not like everything was rosy and dandy and, and Brendan Rodgers could afford to make those changes. He couldn't, which suggests that there is a serious situation going on there. We know what the deal is. With Wesley Fofana, he's upset that he seems to be being priced out of a move to Chelsea. And of course, Yuri Tielemans, well, we know that he has not signed a contract yet. And we know that Arsenal, among a number of other clubs, are interested in him. And if Leicester don't sell him this summer, well, they without him signing a contract, they're not going to get very much for him in January. So, yeah, interesting. Interesting indeed. Um, right, let's take some of your questions from the live chat box. Um, really, really uh, interested to hear what you guys have to say and some of your thoughts and the questions that you want to throw at me for this last 10, 15 minutes of the show. Uh, again, remember, hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And just to kind of summarize while you're doing that, what a performance really comfortable, really strong defensively, really potent offensively. Um, the midfield were great too. Not perfect, according to Mikel Arteta. Still work to be done, and he will be addressing that, he says. Encouraging comments with regards to Arsenal's potential further activity in the transfer window. It's been a really good day. After Spurs were a little bit lucky, I thought, to get their three points against Wolves earlier today, we responded and we are top of the league. Say we are top of the league, at least at the time of recording. Anyway, uh, right, let's take some of uh, your questions. What have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Um, uh, O'Melly says, uh, do you not think that Arteta should make a sub at that point to change the tempo? Now, when you say at that point, I'm assuming that you mean when I was saying that we maybe just allowed Bournemouth to get into the game a little bit. I don't think so. I don't think you make substitutions right at the start of the second half unless you need to, unless there's something seriously and majorly wrong. And I, I wouldn't go as far as saying we were in crisis. There was just signs that Bournemouth could potentially drag themselves back into the game, make a contest of it. And if they did grab a goal back, 
the volume would have gone up inside the Vitality Stadium and it would have been a very, very difficult period and a difficult wave for us to ride. But I, I don't think it got so bad at any point in response to your question that we needed to make the change. And, you know, some of the comments on, on my Twitter post earlier on, and we'll dive into those in a little bit more detail tomorrow, suggested that Mikel Arteta needed to rotate a little bit more in terms of personnel a little bit earlier in the game. Again, I think it's horses for courses. And I think when we get to, I don't know, when we get to September, October, and we've got Europa League games and Premier League games and Europa League games and Cup games and this and that, then I think that rotation thing becomes necessary. But I don't really think it is massively necessary to keep making wholesale changes in-game when you're not in any real jeopardy, you're comfortable, you're cruising, but also you're only playing once a week. So that's that's my view um, on that. Uh, M says, Harry, do you think Arteta and Eddie will gamble again by bringing no additional signings until January? I don't think that if they were to make no more... That, wait, let me let me start that sentence again. If they weren't to make any more signings, I don't think that's a gamble because I think they've done enough to to show that we are moving in the right direction. And I think they've done enough to put us in a good position to compete. Anything more would be a bonus for me. I'm not one of these people that's sitting there going, oh my God, there's only 10, 11 days left of the window. And I'm not one of those people pulling my hair out, thinking it's going to be the end of the world if Arsenal don't get a player in between now and then. I would like at least one more to come in and I think we could do with it, but I'm not going to go as far as saying we're desperate. Therefore, if they do decide to wait till January or indeed the following summer, I don't really think it's that much of a gamble. Again, just, you know, just my opinion, of course. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Saladin Amal says it is either Zaha or the player from Villarreal, Jeremy Pino, who will come in to replace Pepe thoughts. Wilfred Zaha for me would be the pick all day long, but I don't think we're going to get any of those two. If I'm being honest, it's interesting because we talked a little bit just then about the Tielemans stuff today. But if you listen to most of the reports, they suggest that a winger is higher up the priority list than a central midfielder. So could we potentially get two in or will we just end up with one, one winger, I don't know. It's so difficult to read at the moment. Arsenal keeping their cards very close to their chest. And unlike earlier in the summer where we kept hearing links sort of every single day with different players, some of the deals blindsided us. Fabio Vieira won a great example of that. You know, you just don't know with this team, do you? You just don't know because, yeah, it's just so difficult to read. Uh, uh Deepak says, uh, can we consider Arsenal as the third best team because of the way we're playing right now? What are your thoughts, Harry? Um, I think it's too early to draw conclusions like that. I think we're playing well. Of course we are. The fixtures have been relatively kind to us. Palace away, difficult game, um, of course, on the opening night. But having come through that, I expected us to beat Leicester at home. I expected us to beat a Bournemouth side that I expect to be right in the thick of the relegation battle. And I expect us to beat Fulham next week as well. So I, I still, as as much as I'm optimistic, as much as I've enjoyed it, I'm still reluctant to get carried away because I don't think we've been hugely tested yet 
and um, and only then will we know really where this team are at. Uh, Riddy Sarkar says, um, Harry, do you think Fabio will play on the right wing after his cameo there for the under-21s in midweek? Yeah, I think that's the most... Um, that's the that's the most likely position he'll occupy for me, particularly if Nicolas Pepe moves on and we are looking for back cover in 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 that position, you know, and, and we know that he's versatile and we know that Mikel Arteta doesn't really want to commit to labelling Fabio Vieira as a winger or as a central midfielder, but he keeps talking about the versatility and he keeps giving us all of that spiel whilst at the same time literally instructing the under-21s to play him from the right. So read between the lines, make of that what you will. Uh, Going to take a couple more. Uh, Stephen Foote says, is our squad depth massively improved? I think we've got more quality than quantity right now, but I still think we could do with a little bit more depth, i.e. a midfielder of a higher level than Elneny Lokonga and Maitland-Niles at the moment. I think that we need that. I think we need another central midfielder, not an attacking midfielder, a central midfielder who can bring us that, just a higher level of cover, which is why I'm quite keen on Tielemans. And I think we need better quality cover probably on the right wing if Fabio Vieira is not going to be a specialist in that position and he's going to be moving around all over the pitch. So, yeah, that it, it's improved, but it's still not quite 100% where it needs to be, in my opinion. But you should always, I guess, uh, strive for more. Okay, I'm um, going to take one more. Uh, Moss, big shout out to Moss. How you doing, mate? Uh, he says, Harry, I've been saying that Takiro Tomiyasu should be starting, but Ben White does get better and better at right back. Listen, I, I think that, I think that, you know, Tommy Asu's a great player as well. And he's shown that during his time at Arsenal, but injuries have been a problem for him. He lost his place in the side as a result. And until something changes, there's no reason to make changes. There's no reason to take Ben White out of there. There's no reason uh, to take uh, any of the centre-backs out of there because everybody has been performing to a really high standard and you don't, um, you don't change or you don't fix what ain't broken. Uh, Fort Lauderdale Guna Craig says, you missed my super chat. I'm so sorry, mate. I haven't seen that. One second. Let me go back. Here we go. Uh, Harry, what a game. Zinchenko's reaction was brilliant. Check your Instagram for the sweet pink kit I was rocking today. I will do, man. Uh, and he says, uh, keep up the great work, my friend. Uh, thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate you tuning in as always. Uh, big shout out to Nevin who says, Harry, how did you feel? When you saw the Amazon show, you must be so proud. I keep saying this to people, like, it's just a few seconds um, taken from this podcast, which I'm obviously really pleased about and grateful for. Um, but yeah, it is nice to see. It's nice to be a tiny, small, minuscule part of it, of course. Um, and thank you as well uh, for your message, mate. Really, really do appreciate it. Okay, we're going to leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll deep dive a little bit further into the performance. We'll look at some of the tactical aspects, some of the statistical aspects as well. And we'll be giving you some player ratings following uh, this evening's victory. Uh, another great night. I'm going to sit down and watch the boxing now, I think. Put my feet up, pour myself a drink and take a chill pill. Nice one. Catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, goodbye and uh, sleep well. Gunas, up the Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.